Welcome, you're listening to A Certain Degree. My name is Nick. This is a weekly radio show on WPRK featuring makers, artists, and professionals who are doing something neat. Hey, consider subscribing to the show on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher and visit toacertaindegree.com where you can also find past shows and information on guests and even becoming a guest. That's right, the guests on To A Certain Degree, they used to be people just like you at some point. Now, there's something more. If you or someone you know would like to take this journey from your current larval stage to beautiful butterfly, hit me up on most social media channels that are currently available and not selling my information. And now, the show. Aretha Franklin on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. Aretha Franklin, we lost her last week, so today's music for this show uh, is going to be just, you know, rhythm and blues, some old stuff, uh, not necessarily all by uh, Miss Franklin, but uh, by a few people. Good morning. My name is Nick. Every week I get to do this wonderful show, and finally this week we're back on the air. So I had to pick a very special guest to come in today. And that is Lee Perry. Good morning, Lee. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being here early. I know you're an early riser because you've told me that because you've tried to come on the show twice now. Uh, <laughs> and this one took, uh, we had some scheduling conflicts last week, but last week was the beginning of school. So I took the week off to live vicariously through my kids. They were Aww. both going to new schools. <laughs> And so I wanted to make sure they were all settled and, you know, do that crying thing without having a guest see me cry. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Understandable. Definitely. So Lee, you're here from Fleet Farming. You are the program director there. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I love I'm Fleet. so excited to talk to you about it. So some people are familiar with it. Some people aren't. So we'll get into the details. But basically, if you've ever been around on a Sunday and you see a bunch of people riding around looking like they're going to go from... Uh, garden to garden, that's fleet farming. Yes, it's an urban agriculture program. Great. That's a much better way of summing it up than I did. <laughs> but let's get to know you a little bit better. I don't know you at all, Lee. Okay. So I just reached out. I said, Lee, I would love to have you on the show. Love to get to know you a little bit better. Definitely want to talk about fleet farming. Uh, pitch some terrible ideas, which we'll do <laughs> in the second hour, because obviously you're very successful. Oh, thank you. And so m- your success can be my success. Mm-hmm if you can take one of my ideas and run with it. Because I know you have nothing but time on your hands. Exactly. But before that, let's get to know you a little bit better. Um, We're going to play a 20 questions game. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying yes or no or up or down, you're going to say 40 days or 40 nights. Mm -hmm. So this is what I was thinking. Fleet farming, you need sunlight. From what I understand, plants oftentimes need sunlight. So 40 days is better than 40 nights (laughs) is what it comes down to. Nighttime, very little sunlight. Okay. Is my understanding. Now I go to sleep as soon as the sun starts going down. Okay. I am in bed. I have the uh, covers wrapped around me to prevent any monsters or vampires from coming up. Mm-hmm. And then I don't wake up until the sun is up. Mm-hmm. So I really like the winter because <laughs> I am, I'm literally sleeping for about 12 hours at a time. So 40 days if you're for something. Okay. 40 nights if you're kind of on the fence about it or you're not for it. Okay. Deal. Necessarily. Okay. So uh, it is back to school. Uh, And so how did you feel about this time of year when you were a kid, 40 days or 40 nights? Uh, 40 days. Oh, so you like going back to school? Yeah, I loved it. You didn't want, you wanted the summer to end, in other words. 
Well, I was kind of a nerd. <laughs> I loved school. I loved it. Okay, so you wanted to get back there. It made me feel very confident in my ability every time I did well on a quiz or in a class. So that was when I felt my most productive. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you were being graded, you were being judged, and you were showing progress. Yeah, and yeah. learning in itself is, is an oh, amazing Oh, yeah, feeling. you were also probably learning as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, so how do you feel? Let's go to technology for a second. How do you feel about driverless cars? Um, 40 nights. 40 nights. So not 40 nights. You're against it. I just don't think we're ready. Okay. I don't think we're ready yet. Um, so I think in the future, if they can show that technology-wise it becomes safer and all of that, you'd be okay with it? you jump into a car with no driver? I think it's more so what an impact it would have on the economy. Okay. Because I think a lot of people rely on jobs where they're drivers, and there's a lot of jobs where you don't necessarily – have to have a degree, but you still can make a livable wage. And we need those jobs right now. Oh, and I so I think that replacing people with uh, robotic, you know, machines <laughs> or even just programmed cars, I think it's just something that will happen in the future when our economy can actually compensate people regardless of whether or not they're in occupations like that. But until then, we're not ready as, as a society, I think. That's a a really interesting take because what I've heard from some people too is that, you know, what we need to fix is not necessarily individual transportation, so cars, Mm -hmm. but public transport, public transit. And so if you could get that going first, whether that's driverless or some other way, then that would help a lot as well. Well, in Florida, I think also just public safety as far as our walkways and our roads people are orlando so i've read that it's in the top tier of the most dangerous cities for people who Mm -hmm. are just walking down the street i had a friend just hit by a, a car on her bike recently and uh it's really not a safe place even if public transportation was at its best we still would be unsafe just walking to the bus stop sure. because of the way that the city has been planned and we need to change that. So so more catapults, <laughs> people mover catapults. I mean, why don't we just jump over everything and why don't we just teleport? I think teleportation is the future and that's where we need to focus our energy. Well, and that's what I really like about fleet farming is that's, I mean, that's in the first word of your name is fleet. Yeah. So that's something that you're working on. So I really like how you got both extremes, the high tech Uh end of things where you're trying to transport plants to different people and, uh, you know, the actual farming and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I really like that. It's it's supposed to bring people (laughs) back to the earth through community and through the word local. Yes, absolutely. So speaking of local, how do you feel about zombies? 40 Um, days or 40 nights? 40 days. Really? 40 days. I love zombies. Um, My best friend, I would say, is a zombie connoisseur, if you will. Okay. Um, A zombie aficionado? Yes. Yeah. Pretty much every video game he's played. Um, And I believe that there are several different types of zombies. Sure. If you'd like, you can just scrap your notes. We can talk about this because I think this is far more important than riding your bike and growing food. You're going to dig into (laughs) zombies, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think my favorite type of zombie, um, I like the chemical, like radioactive uh, issue where people are coming out of their graves and like coming to life. 
there's that type of zombie. So classic George Romero. Exactly. That's my favorite. Yeah, it's like, oh, no, there was some type of leak from the power plant that right. seeped into everyone's water supply, and now people are going crazy and dead people are coming to life. And and typically slow-moving. Right? Um, Do you care for fast-moving zombies? Oh, man. It's a tough it one. It makes for a better movie. Um, it definitely haunts me more. Mm-hmm. Um, 28 Days Later and, and everything. Oh, sure. It made me feel really great to watch that movie because it made me 100% <laughs> terrified down to my core. Um, but the slow-moving zombie to me is more realistic yeah. because they're dead. So their bones and muscles are all decomposing so right. or have already been decomposed. So they can't outrun me. I'm at my prime as far as physically, believe it or not, I am. And okay. well, <laughs> and I wouldn't have any other reason to I went to the that. gym yeah. yesterday. Great. Okay. Okay. I want everyone to know that. I drove no. by a gym yesterday. <laughs> but what I'm saying is if a zombie's coming for me, I'm going to outrun it. It's dead. So nice. It's dead. What about the zombies as a uh, metaphor for how we're becoming? Because that was the original intention, right? Mm-hmm. George Romero talks about that before he passed away, mm-hmm. about how you know we and in today's per, it's perfect because we could talk about cell phones and we could talk about the connection to electronics and mm-hmm. how we're always looking at these things and we're addicted to these things. Mm. Is that part of the reason you like it so much, or do you just like? the scare Mm. um okay so if we're talking metaphorically 100 percent, my favorite thing about working in a nonprofit world where you're trying to teach people is that exact thing that i feel most people right now are coasting through life thinking Mm -hmm. that the white picket fence is the american dream and they're kind of sleepwalking and i love shaking someone to their core whether i'm speaking at a conference or i'm having a one-on-one conversation over coffee making someone believe that their ways are wrong and that they need to wake up and take action and they have that epiphany moment that's the best part of the job you know nice. i don't think i think there are too many zombies out there who want to wake up and go to work and come home and just veg on the couch yeah. and that's their life. And that's the reason why almost every single problem on this planet right now is where it is. It's because of people like that. Zombies, a uh, big demographic for us, listenership. So <laughs> oh, if you guys are listening, uh, go ahead, take some action. Come on. <laughs> Wake up. There's an antidote out there. I like it. Speaking of the antidote, uh, coffee. How do you feel about coffee? Um, 40 hundred days 40,000 million days I love coffee Um, okay so it's not just a something to get you out of bed in the morning it's you like the taste of it you like to have it it's a very romantic relationship that I have with coffee okay it like it the smell gets me out of bed and it makes me feel like today's going to be a better day because of it Um, I love the way that it tastes I think that the taste in itself, if you took the caffeine out of it, I would still enjoy drinking it because it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the kick that I get, which I'm kind of immune at this point, but the kick that I get from caffeine and from espresso in particular, it makes me feel um, energized and it makes me feel excited uh, right. about my day. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the beach. Okay. How do you feel about it? 40 days. Okay. 40 days. I love the beach. I am terrified of swimming. 
in the ocean. Okay. I love going to the beach. Going to the beach. I like um, sitting on the sand. Getting about ankles deep, maybe knee deep. So what do you do to cool off when you're at the beach if you get warm? I like wading in the little kitty side. Like I like going into up to like your knees and then just sitting in that shallow uh, part. Okay. Yeah. I never go Any when deeper. I do I freak out because yeah. I think that there's things in there. Okay, so I we are not meant to be in the water. Everything about our bodies says don't go. We can't see, we can't breathe. Uh-huh. Our fingers get all pruney, which means we shouldn't be in there, right? Wait, what about baths? Okay, even baths. Like, we shouldn't be in there? Not not completely submerged all the time, right? You can enjoy bathing, but I think going in the ocean, to me, that's someone else's home. That's many thousands of different species home. Oh, so we're trespassing. We're trespassing. That's how I feel. Got it. Okay. And so I feel like when I sit on land by the beach, I can be mesmerized by the gravity of how large the ocean is. It's a beautiful house. Sure. But I'm not just going to walk in and sit in someone's living room when I wasn't welcomed, you know, and I'm really not fit to be there because I don't even have gills. So... Right, so you're just the interloper at that point. I like to visit maybe for a couple minutes, but then go back. Go on their lawn. Yeah. Just (laughs) hang out, see how soft it is, cool off a little bit. And then I, you know. And then come back up to the the land where we belong. Yes, I literally freak out if I go in too deep. It's traumatizing. hang on, it's not because you're in somebody else's house that you freak out. It's, well, there's like things at my ankles telling me, please leave. (laughs) <laughs> like every time I look down, I see something. There's yeah. a fish, there's a crab. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm going to get out of here before you bite me. Because they have polite. every right to bite me yeah. or to sting me, whatever they, they want to do. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I hadn't <laughs> thought of it that way. But overall, a beach is a positive feeling for me. Okay. All right. Other than the fear that you're going to be trespassing <laughs> at some point. So let me ask you about, we had bike share. Mm-hmm. Came out of so a lot of stuff comes out of uh, the West, right? Silicon Valley and San Francisco and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So they had bike sharing, they had car sharing come out of there. The latest thing is uh, scooter sharing, electric scooters. So like the Razor, uh, but electric. So there's a big problem right now with riding scooters on the sidewalks. These electric scooters. How do you feel about that? Forty days or forty nights? So riding, if you were to get on one of these scooters riding it down the sidewalk or having people around you riding these things 40 days yeah 40 days um 100 yes i think that i can't trust some people on a bike you know good point some people just walking they're clumsy and they're tripping all over themselves i see electric- they might go into the water at any second too. <laughs> i see i see electric bikes i see electric um the skateboards, skateboards. Yeah. Anything that can those help like people. Fun. Those are really fun. Yeah. Anything I don't that, have any balance though. So they just look like fun. I don't <laughs> think they would actually be fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm saying that they're fun, but I've never been on right. one. Um, I, I've never trespassed on somebody's uh, skateboard, but <laughs> I think that we, whatever we have to do to get more people to go outside and to not be in a car. Okay. So I'm all about it. Um, yeah. That's how so you would ride one. I would ride one. And how, would you just, you're, okay, so you're heading towards somebody. Mm-hmm. Your choice is to knock into them or to swerve 
and uh, her only yourself, what do you do? Okay. First off, actual scooters, you remember the brake is in the back wheel? Yeah. And you have to like grind your foot on the back wheel in yes. order to slow down. Yeah. I'm sure that the electric scooter scooter will have something a little bit more automatic that'll probably it be might have safer. Brakes up at the top. Probably and, something yeah. that'll be a lot more well thought out than a back wheel friction right. brake. So it's probably safer because if you're really going on one of those old classic scooters, they're probably you know, a lot harder to slow down in comparison to something that has an automated brake system. So I would trust it more so. You know, we should talk about offline is creating a scooter with airbags. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Okay, so that's a future bad business idea. Or just let everyone wear like padding all the time. Like if you're just going to be look, in Orlando walking around, look, you need to wear padding all the time. If we can bring back shoulder pads... <laughs> I'm 100% in yeah, yeah. because I never looked better than in a suit with shoulder pads. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think everybody does. I think so too. Well, and I appreciate today. I mean, you coming in mm-hmm. and those are some pretty sizable shoulder pads you have on. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, I stuff little treats in there. Um, That's genius. Because I work around people who are mostly vegan and vegetarian. So they expect me to eat like carrots all the time. So I take bags of chips and I hide them in there so that they don't know that I'm actually like eating junk food. Reaching over and taking a little snack. Yeah. That's a really good idea. Speaking of snacks, let's go over to Seattle for a second. (laughs) Uh, Amazon Go. Did you hear about this? The store that Amazon is trying out over there? Um, no, actually, yes, yes, I have. Is that the one where you basically just walk in, but you prepay and then you can walk out? Yeah, you don't exactly, pre- you open up the app. So you just, you don't have to choose your things before you go in. You choose them when you get there. Mm-hmm. So you can still have impulse buys and all that, but it's tracking everything. So it's got cameras, it's got scanners. Mm-hmm. So it sees what you put in your bag and you just walk right out. So I'm as long so... as you have the app open when you walk in, you're good to go. No, I'm I'm 40 nights on that one. Yeah. I'm 40 for nights. I'm sorry, so, Amazon. I know you're coming for me anyway. But... Amazon's a big listener. Jeff Bezos <laughs> listens every week. <laughs> I know they're coming for me. But, this is um, where he does a lot of his market research. No, no. I, I People need to understand that away from convenience is the way that we need to go. Even though that's inevitable and that's the way that the entire world is going mm. anyway, there needs to be somebody pulling back and saying, how about you grow your own food and do the least convenient thing possible? Like literally starting from seed. And it, the more convenient it gets, the more we're disconnecting ourselves, you know, from right. each other. The less appreciation we have for the things that we have. The more waste yep. that will come of that. And so I think Amazon is trying to get ahead of its time and become the future where Wally is a thing, you know, where people are just floating around Sitting and getting food yeah. completely shoved into their mouths for them. Where it's going to come to a point where, yes, they're the leader in that innovation, but it, we obviously can see where it's not good for us as as a population. Um, and we have to start to vocalize that now, even if they're going to come and assassinate me like in the middle of the night, like I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to be the voice and take that sacrifice. The revolution starts right here. Yes. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So then I kind of know what your answer is to the next one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. Tiny houses, mm, okay. 40 days or 40 nights, 40 days. Yeah. I think so because a lot of people aren't home all the time. Yeah. Could you live in one? 
do you think? I think I could. I have a, um, me personally, I have a tortoise and he already has a bigger room than me. Um, but no, I think that I could live in a tiny home because I don't really spend a lot of time at home. Yeah. But there's so much underutilized land out there that could easily be transformed into really great living situations for people who don't have as much um, time, ability, or financial backing to support a large house with a large bit of property and white picket fence and all of that. Um, Well, to your point, it's, you know, you have this idea in your head of what success is and what it translates into. And and usually it's, there's some possessions that you have to have in order to show that you're uh, successful. And, And really what, what is your take on the tiny house movement when it comes to you know, our idea of possessions and our idea of uh, things that we have to have. Mm. I think, so I grew up in um, in affordable housing and I lived with my mother and my brother and our dog and many fish. And we didn't have a lot of space and we didn't have a lot of anything, but we, that was the happiest time in my life. I remember really enjoying myself because when you live in a community where you don't have a lot and you don't expect a lot, you don't expect a big wall of money to hit you any day, Mm -hmm. you share resources. And I love that because it's simple and people are happier because they don't expect so much, Um, you know, living in affordable housing, you would think it's so crime ridden in a low income neighborhood that you would keep your doors locked at all times. But it was quite the opposite. It was the only time I really felt a sense of community because doors were always open and music was always playing and people were always cooking. I was exposed to so many different cultures and food because I'd go over to a friend's house just because I was walking by and they invited me in. Mm -hmm. Next thing I know, I'm eating some Vietnamese food from a woman who doesn't speak any English who's been in this country for probably two, three years. And then I'm walking down the street and maybe I do something bad where I'm picking on somebody's little kid. Let's just say this doesn't happen in real life, but let's just say hypothetically. Yeah. And -and so-and-so's mom is keeping an eye on me and calls my mom and says, hey, your kid's acting out. You know, it's like a community is raising me versus one person. And now, you know, living in Florida where urban sprawl is a huge thing, I don't know my neighbors. I know their last names because it's on their mailbox, but I don't know their family dynamic. I don't know their culture. I don't really have a sense of who they are. That in itself is sad. And I think it leads to a lot of people feeling depressed, which raises uh, issues on mental health, Mm -hmm. which is wreaking havoc all over this country right now. But I live in a pretty decent-sized home with a pretty decent-sized property. So you would think, oh, well, she must be, quote-unquote, successful because materialistically she has everything she must need, sure. right? Yeah. I don't have a sense of community. And when I feel lonely, I feel very isolated because of that. So let me ask you about the going back to the materialistic part. Part of moving to a tiny home. Mm -hmm. or taking that mindset is getting rid of some of your stuff, simplifying your life. Mm. Where do you think that fits into, uh, you know, being more successful or being more happy? Mm. Having less 
having anything shouldn't have anything to do with your happiness. Your happiness needs to come from within and you working on your emotional self is something that we don't teach young men or people in general in schools or at an early age. Mm -hmm. A lot of people get to a place and I find this because I'm almost 30 and a lot of my 30 plus year old friends feel a lot of pressure to have kids right now versus are they mentally healthy enough and happy and successful in the words of like well mentally sure um to have children and then a lot of people i notice have children and then they don't take the time to uh really educate them on how to be uh emotionally well or how to take care of yourself holistically um exercise go outside and play they just kind of get into this routine where they bring them to school, drop them off, pick them up, put them in front of the TV, make them dinner, uh, make them do their homework, go to bed. And that's the majority of the people that I know. Mm-hmm. And I don't have kids and I'm not trying to have kids right now because I'm not in a place where I can slow my life down to make sure that they learn how to meditate, to make sure they learn how to knit or do something that calms them so that they can get inside. Look at Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He really taught kids how to have a moment of silence and how to be still. That's something that's really missing in today's society to get kids to be in a well place. But long tangent short, why I think a tiny home is a good thing. Um, It doesn't really matter what kind of home, but I would assume that a tiny home would be closer to other tiny homes so that we can maximize space. So from an environmental standpoint, we need to be bringing people closer together so that we learn how to work with each other. Yeah. And um, I also think that there's a huge homelessness population, but there's tons of really underutilized properties and land. And we're not taking care of the problem. We're just driving by and making sure our doors are locked and not right. and there's avoiding some symptoms that we're throwing money at or we're doing some things about but and it's, it's not, not really. solving the problem yeah. so. i think it's you touch on a really interesting point because i think that you know what i see of the tiny house movement is put it on wheels put it out in the middle of a field and it almost feels more isolationist mm-hmm. than communal which to me if i was going to if I was going to downsize, what that would mean is that I need com- more communal spaces around me. Mm-hmm. Then I need more people around me mm-hmm. so that we could go share experiences and do things like that. Like to me, the great thing about a tiny house would be that it would make me want to leave more. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't nest as much because mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's not that opportunity to uh, watch the big screen TV and, and do those things that you'd normally do at home. Well, there's nothing really wrong with nesting necessarily. Um, It's just about what are you doing to exercise your mind? I would say um, that I have a really good point. It's going to take me a second to get it out. Um, I would say that it's not about the tiny home. The tiny home is a symbol and people are using the symbol in good ways and bad. Mm -hmm. Some people say, oh, I live in a tiny home. Look at me. I'm sustainable. That doesn't necessarily mean it. It's about changing your behavior. And the tiny home is just a symbol of that. I don't go out shopping every single year to completely change out my wardrobe. 
I wear clothes until they literally are falling off of me. And then there's a need for the clothes before I go out and treat myself. That concept of treat yourself to something. Really make sure that it's coming from a place of need versus just medicating your desire to want more, want more. And for some reason, marketing, and, and, and this is not a conspiracy, this is real, people are studying that behavior and using it against us so that we oh, sure. feel that desire yeah. to buy all the time. We need to change that. We need to shut that off. And um, just small point, I had a friend that went to Europe and she was very um, cut off from that overstimulation. She was like backpacking through the mountains and everything. And she really felt a sense of clarity. Mm-hmm. And she couldn't understand why her thoughts were so clear until she got back and saw that everything is so in your face with so ads much noise, and yeah. so much noise. Buy this. Look at this body. Don't you wish your body looked like that? It's like too much to a certain point and to, it's subliminal to a certain degree to a certain degree ah. it's a little too much stimulation <laughs> so um just be conscious of it and change your uh behavior all right speaking of too much stimulation let's end it on this one cobbler the dessert not the person who fixes shoes uh-huh 40 days or 40 nights i would assume 40 days uh i don't really eat a lot of sweets really yeah my boyfriend does i'm a salty person i like chips Oh, like, okay, so that's not my just personally treat. salty. Yeah, yeah, that's why I brought so up chips in my shoulder. Shoulder pads are filled uh-huh, with chips. Yeah, uh-huh. but um, cobbler, I've had cobbler before. Absolutely delicious. So forty days, I'm very positive about it. Um, yeah, is it as good as um, cheesecake? I don't think so. <laughs> okay, so cheesecake would be okay. So let's go through the the tiers here. Cobbler. And then above that, cheesecake. Uh-huh. Do we have anything above that? I personally love vanilla ice cream. That's I'm weird. I love I love simple. The the more simple, the better. So the vanilla good ice cream, obviously. Yeah, like the real yeah. rich, great, beautiful, Just pure butter, delicious, and actual <laughs> vanilla bean. But I like extra, 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 extra Jimmy sprinkles, rainbow only. That's my preference. Nice, but that's me. Um, and there's nothing. You know what I had? I had the one that uh, is really hot, and you crack it on top. What is that? A what is that one? The, the dessert oh, the, that you creme brulee. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I had that for the first time, mm-hmm. and I actually started crying. <laughs> I had creme brulee for the first time, and it was so good that tears came out, and I couldn't control that. Where them. were you? Um, Cress. Oh, okay. Over in downtown Deland. Um, right, we were Chris, celebrating. We're for your yeah, creme we were <laughs> we were celebrating a birthday, and someone brought out all these creme brulees. I've never heard of that in, in before, and I ate it, and it brought so much joy that actual tears were falling out of my eyes. Wow, the dessert <laughs> that will make you cry. But I still like vanilla ice cream more. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, because you don't want to cry every time you have dessert. No, no, that, that was just too extreme. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lee. I feel like I know you quite well now. Uh, Let's go to some music. So today's music, I wanted to play some uh, rhythm and blues, some female vocalists. So next up, we're going to have Barbara Acklin and Betty Wright on WPRK. Warner Park, Florida. You're listening to A Certain Degree. This episode is being brought to you by Pet Spionage. 
Maybe it seems that your dog, cat, pygmy goat, fish, or other companion is fond of you. Well, now you can know for sure with Petspionage. We simply place hundreds of hidden cameras in your house and around your yard, looking for evidence of your pet's true feelings. Our crack team of animal whisperers analyze the body language and eye contact to see if they love you, or if you're just a future meal to them. In the case of cats, you're always a future meal. Petspionage. Don't let sleeping dogs lie. Order at toacertaindegree.com. Betty Wright on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. That was Clean Up Woman. And before that, Barbara Acklin with Just Ain't No Love on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. I, I really am bad with the emphasis on the song titles. My name is Nick. You're listening to a certain degree. Thank you so much for being here, being here at 91.5 FM, Winter Park, Florida, back on the air, back Mondays with us. And uh, every week, very special guest this week is no exception. Lee Perry is here. Good morning, Lee. Good morning. Hello, everyone. From Fleet Farming, mm-hmm. program director over there. And I wanted to talk a little bit about high school and okay. coming out of high school and going to college. I'm always curious about people's experiences because I think we get, uh, culturally, we have this uh, expectation of what coming out of high school should be and what the college process should be. Mm-hmm. And I am, I tried that and I did very poorly. I flunked out of university of Florida. Mm-hmm. I tried going to community college for a little bit. It was a great community college. I wasn't ready for it. Uh, eventually I found a mentor that helped me connect me with Embry riddle. Mm-hmm. So I was there for a while and then I ended up at UCF and I graduated from there. And what I felt for a long time was that that was, an unusual way of doing things and I did it wrong. And what I'm realizing now, working in admissions, working with people, especially those going back to schools, there's no right way to do it. So what I'm always curious about is coming out of high school, what were the expectations that you had for yourself and what actually happened? Mm. Well, I'm really, really happy that you told your story because I I wanted to say there is no right or wrong way to do it. You know, you have to find yourself and that's just part of the process. Um, I came out of high school, I was low income, but I received a scholarship to travel abroad completely coincidentally. Um, I just applied and out of the blue because I had a teacher throw a packet full of grants and scholarships over at me. And he was like, make yourself useful, apply to these scholarships. And I did. And I got one and it was to travel abroad anywhere where I had already taken a couple semesters worth of another language, which at that time was Italy. I took Italian for like five semesters because I really liked the teacher. So in high school? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So straight out of high school, I went to Italy. Um, had no idea that was going to happen. <laughs> I had no idea that those types of programs were available. Yeah. I was the first person in three years to ever apply. They were like, you're the first person who's ever applied because Americans don't like to travel abroad at that young of an age. Um, And we usually have more high schoolers from Europe come to America. So they were just, they gave it to me just probably out of the fact that I was the only (laughs) one who applied. Um, So it was a full ride scholarship. They even paid my host family and they paid me a stipend to go there and just to live there, just to live there and just to learn the language. Well, they have 13 years of high school. So I did my senior year again. Oh, okay. Um, And so, but really I didn't know the language as well as I needed to at first to, you know, carry on in society. So I really had to learn like I was a baby from the first day I was there. I was completely 
immersed in the culture yeah. 100%. So I was there for a year and it taught me so much. And I thought right out of high school, I was going to go and study abroad for the rest of my life and be in Europe. Like I had this idea in my head. And then as soon as I was there long enough, I realized how much we take for granted in America. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited to come home and hit the ground running. And I, I don't take anything for granted here anymore. In fact, now I love being American and I want to help fix a lot of the challenges that our country is facing that I've seen uh, Europe excel at. But Europe, in, in, is ex, as far as my experience in South Italy, it's a little bit old fashioned. and They have a long way to go as far as getting to where we are mm-hmm. um, with the services that we have as a country. For example, just... Um, animal control. They have dogs everywhere. You'll see dogs dead on the side of the road. They don't have any anybody doing that. So that's just one thing that really broke my heart that we take for granted here. I would imagine, yeah. Um, but anyway, moving forward, um, when I came back home, I had nothing. So I had to sleep on people's couches. I didn't have a car. I didn't really have money. I just had my suitcase and what I had and so, was this here in Florida or were you yeah, up north at the time? Yeah, I had bright futures. So um, I, you know, I, I went to high school here in Florida, but I'm originally from Massachusetts. Okay. And I just decided I'm not going to take my education for granted. So I went to a community college and it was the best few years of my life. Seminole State. Seminole State. I took my time. I really um, wanted to get the full experience. And I felt like in a community college, I had a much better college experience than UCF. So when you say college experience, you mean the sort of, again, the traditional, what you would think of a uh, college experience, interacting with faculty, interacting with other students, being part of student groups? No, I never had time. You okay. know, I was, I was paying my way through school, you know, and even though I had bright futures, I still had to pay for my books and everything. I sure. had a little bit of help from my grandma here and there, but so I, then what did you mean by college experience when you say I had a better college experience in Seminole State than I did at UCF? Well, I didn't feel like a number. Got my it. teachers had time to sit down with me and really help me make sure that I excelled in the class versus at UCF, I really kind of feel like cattle sometimes. I would be in a room with upwards to 500 students or take a class online where I'm watching my teacher through a camera. Mm-hmm. That didn't make me feel very good, very valued as a student, like I when I was in Seminole State College. Um, but I just graduated in May. I'm 28 years old, and some people will say, you did it the wrong way because I really took my time. But I didn't do that um, by mistake. I did that on purpose. I wanted to be debt-free, you know? And so it was very hard working sometimes two full-time jobs to pay my way through school, and um, but it was so worth it. So let me ask you this. Let's let's transition over to fleet farming because you have been involved in that since 2014 or at mm-hmm. least ideas for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And ideas for us is sort of the umbrella. Could you explain that a little bit yeah. as opposed to what fleet farming is? Yeah, I really think the story is great because ideas for us started as a bunch of college kids trying to, to create change. And they realized that there's all these clubs and all these groups all over the place that are trying to do the same thing. So why not utilize one group as a vessel to channel all those activities and all that effort into one cause? So Ideas for Us started out as a meeting called The Hive, where they'd invite all these different professionals in different fields and different college groups to come together and then start like a campaign or create change, start a project, do a beach cleanup. 
And that grew tremendously over the course of the past 10 years. And from one of those hive meetings came this idea of fleet farming from the community. And they put their funding together. They donated supplies. And it was a volunteer-run thing. It started out very slowly. And then we were featured on NBC Nightly News in 2015, and it exploded. Now we have inquiries from all over the world on a daily basis of people who want to see this happen. Um, but we're really trying to build a foundation that's very strong here in Orlando first so that we can show everyone how you can start a movement and really impact a city right. before we start to scale all over Florida, all over the United States, and then all over the world. Well, you have to have that playbook. You have to show how to be successful. But then you also have to show that so that you can get grants and you can get the donations. Like the philanthropic part of that mm-hmm. is, yeah, people might get excited about it, but they want to see what kind of results did you have? How did this work? Those sorts of things. There's not enough data to show the benefits of gardening or growing your own food because there's a therapeutic value sure. that is under undervalued. Um, there's also um, a financial value that I think the studies are a little bit more advanced than just overall how it brings a community together, how it makes neighborhoods safer, how it makes people physically healthier to eat more vegetables. Mm-hmm. We're trying to take all that data now because we started in a predominantly um, middle to upper income level community in Audubon Park. And then we received $50,000 from the USDA to scale into Paramore and Holland Heights, which is considered a food desert mm-hmm. where the average annual income is about 15000 a year. Um, and so with that, we're trying to really show that you can replicate this model right now in even a low income community so that when we do get offers to scale internationally, we want to show the greatest impact in the greatest areas. So that's what we're working on. So let's take it back to, and I appreciate you explaining that again. We'll talk a little bit more about what flea farming is because I think it's important to uh, tell people the services that you offer, mm-hmm. right? So if people were to go to fleetfarming.org right now, they could see some of that. So if I have a yard and I feel like maybe I could do something more with it, you know, just from a, a learning about the opportunities to how I would interact and work with fleet farming, fleetfarming.org is the best way mm-hmm. uh, to get started. Yes. So there's two different parts of our program and people get them very confused. Um, we started farming on front lawns in Audubon Park, and now we're doing the same in Paramore and Holden Heights. We're mm-hmm. farming underutilized land, not really lawns in Paramore and Holden Heights. But in Audubon Park, there's some streets where you can literally go there today and see lawns converted. Yep. And we offer free community events called Swarm Rides, where people can come out, ride their bikes, and learn. We're just a community asset here for you to ask us questions and to pick our brains about how you can go home and transform your property Um, however, a lot of people think we're going to bike to them in like Maitland or like Apopka and they think like, when are you biking in my lawn? You know, so we had so many inquiries that we decided to create a new revenue stream called edible landscapes so that we can build people gardens. But at the root of everything, it's education. We want people to feel confident moving forward that if we come out and build you either a raised bed or an in-ground or a large food forest garden, that you will have the ability to know exactly what to do for the next year so that you can get the most out of your dollar. As opposed to if you go to Home Depot and spend like 
$500 and then after a season everything's dead and you're like why did I waste all that money right, right, right. not everyone has the convenience of like splurging on a beautiful garden in their yard you know no, and I think we want to make something sustainable we don't want to just put it out there just for show yeah right and not always does Home Depot or Lowe's have the best thing to grow there's a lot of varieties that we probably don't see at Publix and don't see at Home Depot that grow really, really well here with very little effort because they're heat tolerant varieties of produce that grows well in the Caribbean that you might not have ever heard of. Mm-hmm. We are a, we're not necessarily the know-it-alls. We're the, the channel of that. We're bringing people from all different backgrounds and growing together to share those resources through our swarm rides. And then to the best of our ability, coming to your house and offering a service where we can help you grow the easiest, fastest thing that might be the most nutritious for you and for this climate. So taking you back a step to 2014, 2015, you're still in school. Mm -hmm. You connect with fleet farming and ideas for us. Through the hive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you see this opportunity to get more involved. It's something that is satisfying to you. It's something that, you know, you see an opportunity. At that point, did you see an opportunity for a career there? Well, at first I was very depressed. I was very isolated in in college. I felt like if I get an environmental science degree, I'm not going to have a job. There's nothing going on right now in that field in this this city, I I thought. And the hive brought me to a place where I could find other people with similar mentalities. Mm -hmm. And I was inspired. So then everything that I could go to, I started volunteering and fleet farming was the one thing because of my background in growing food and growing, um, I mostly know about native plants throughout my college degree. I studied in conservation and Florida ecology, but I wanted to participate in that because I wanted to have a community. That was my biggest thing. I was tired of feeling like I was the only one trapped in my own mind and that there weren't people that had thoughts similar to my own. And then Fleet Farming channeled that for me. No, I didn't think I was going to have it be my sole source of income. And I've just been honored and grateful for that opportunity. But I knew working hard would make it better. And so I rolled up my sleeves and we started bringing on interns. We started maximizing that edible landscape service, which helps bring in revenue. Because to be honest, we undervalue and underprice vegetables. And because of that, the people growing the food internationally are not making a livable wage. They're living off of inhumane conditions in order to supply the food that we eat at Publix. That's the biggest problem. And so me pushing all this energy with my team into fleet farming at an early stage was really because I thought that showing that people, young people should be off their phones and getting sweaty on the farm because they want to participate in the process behind growing their own food is essential to our survival as human beings moving forward. And I just want to, before we take a break and we have to move on to the second hour, the first hour is over already, okay. by the way. Wow, okay. I'm a joy to talk to. Um, <laughs> what I want to do is just, just just touch on this opportunity that came up. And had you, had you done college the right way, the mm-hmm. quote unquote right way, you may have missed out on this opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Or you may not have seen this or... Even if you were doing college the right way, you might have uh, said, well, I can't do anything with them right now because I'm going to college full time. Mm. So I think it's interesting and and maybe I I wanted to get your take on it that 
you were leaving yourself open for these opportunities in your life to come up Mm -hmm. while still going to college. Yeah. I think people who are successful are people who seize opportunities and just try to keep making it better. You know, I, I think that a lot of people just like to take the easy route and whether that means that they're pouring themselves into college, expecting a job when they graduate, or that means just focusing on college and not getting involved, not doing anything outside of it, just getting in their routine, regardless of what path they choose. I think that when you find your, um, your emotional connection to something, go with it. Like be intuitive enough to sense when something is good for you yeah. and take advantage of it. Because I think too many people um, get blindsided by how much work you have to pour into something that they will turn down really great chances to optimize a circumstance. And ultimately, they miss the boat. And it doesn't always have to lead into a job or lead into Mm -hmm. a career. I mean, just from a self-care point of view, Mm -hmm. you should be following those things that you're passionate about. You should be going out there and investing yourself in something that's going to ultimately make you happy. That's the most important thing that has been said this entire time that you and I have been speaking. Well, let's just stop right there. Okay, bye. Forget second hour. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we will be back. Uh, We definitely won't say anything as uh, poignant as that, especially since a bad business ideas is coming up. Uh, But we'll be back with Lee Perry. My name is Nick. You're listening to a certain degree back on WPRK Winter Park, Florida, because we are broadcasting again. So if you're hearing us in your car, Mm -hmm. thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for remembering to preset it again or to keep it as a preset. But uh, yeah, you can hear us in your car on the FM dial, even a little bit further out. And as always, streaming. And you can listen to this podcast later on as well as all the podcasts that we've done at toacertaindegree.com. Thanks, Lee. We'll be right back. Thank you. All right. Uh, Roberta Flack, Killing Me Softly on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. This episode is brought to you by Sikkim. Tis the season for a lot of ill, snotty people. And when they show up for work, we all feel bad for them. But we also want them to get away from us as quickly as possible. That's where Sikkim and our proprietary quarantine facility comes in. Heard someone cough? Call us. Did someone say bless you? Bless us, because now you won't catch that cold. Within 30 minutes or less, our specially outfitted Airstream trailer will be at your office, so you don't have to be Nero, patient zero. Your ill coworker goes in, and they don't come out until they are well. The Sikkim vehicle has multiple types of chicken soup, including vegan and gluten-free options. It has oxygen. We did test this out. And this version does have a way for them to breathe. And most importantly, there's Wi-Fi. So they can keep working. And they have to keep working. Sikkim. It's not an RV. It's an RVV. A recreational virus vehicle. Leanne LaHavis on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. What you don't do. Good morning. My name is Nick. This is what we do do. Uh, that didn't sound right. Uh, Lee Perry is here. And uh, yeah, I guess fertilizer. We could talk about that for a while. Oh, for sure. Lee Perry, program director of fleet farming here in Central Florida. And we'll get into a little bit more of what fleet farming is. If you missed any of the show, you're listening to us on the radio again. Thank you so much for doing so. If you missed any of it, you can go to a website called toacertaindegree.com. I had to say that because if I say to, to a certain degree.com, that's even more ridiculous than the name is. And you can listen to past podcasts. You'll get this one on there uh, and you can do all that. You can also go to fleetfarming.org or follow them at fleetfarming 
on Instagram, on Twitter. I would imagine you're on the Facebook as yes, well. On yes, the, the Facebook. The, well. the Facebook. Um, well, thank you so much for being here. And Lee, uh, obviously very successful. Fleet farming is growing. Uh, you obviously know what you're talking about when it comes to anything from fertilizer to actual farming. And so fertilizer is a big part of our next segment, and that's called Bad Business Ideas. So we have to play the song first. Mm-hmm. Bad business ideas. It's time to pick just one. It's going to be totally legal. We hope it won't hurt anyone. So come on and some Yes, bad business ideas. You know when you crack your phone and it still works, but you're kind of getting cut from the sharp glass? Yes. This is exactly like that. Okay. Yeah. As you know, this is a segment of the show where I get all entrepreneurial. And so I try to tell you about two potential new business ideas. And you have to pick one. You have to choose one and say, okay, I think this would work. Here are the reasons it would work. And then technically by being on the show, you have to actually go out and make it work. And I know you have nothing but time on your hands, so that should not be a problem. One of the reasons I do this is obviously for the profit. You take the idea, you make it work, I profit. That's how mm-hmm. bad business ideas go. But also because I have all these ideas in my head, they have to get out somehow mm-hmm. or else I'll go a little Right nuts. now is the time. Yeah, this is my, uh, uh, this is my therapy, so I appreciate this. <laughs> Uh, before we get to your ideas, though, so you're going to have two original ideas. This is one that I pitched a while back, and it was inspired by fleet farming. So I thought this would be appropriate to talk about this again. Fleet farming is really the intersection of unused spaced, spaced, unused space and agriculture. Mm-hmm. Now, I have space, but it's not my lawn. It's my pickup, my truck. So I bought a truck thinking that, okay, one of the reasons I want to buy this is because I don't have a lot of friends. And so once you have a truck, you would assume that people would be asking you to help move them. And this would be a way for me to finally get some exercise. Didn't happen. Still have no friends, have sort of an empty truck bed most of the time. So farming, take it mobile. It's called farm off the turnip truck. I will take that space, put a bunch of stuff in there and grow out of the back of my truck. Uh-huh. Obviously easier for deliveries of fruits and vegetables. And I'm using the unused space, Mm -hmm. finally. What do you think about that as the future of fleet farming? I'm sorry, but that's already happening in some cities. Well, they do trailers. Like they'll they'll have a trailer on a hitch and they'll actually grow in the trailer and bring it around. Okay, I could see that because it's way more convenient. So Mm -hmm. what we go for on Bad Business Ideas is less convenient and possibly dangerous. So the other thing we could be doing is creating strains of uh, fruits and vegetables that do well at high speeds. Okay. Because I think that's obviously important. Yeah. I want sure. a tomato that's going to survive 60 miles an hour on the highway. Yeah, the tomato won't, but maybe a carrot? Okay. <laughs> maybe a carrot. It's like really hunkered in there. Okay, got it. And then you really won't have to do much. It just kind of grows and you just watch it. Unused space. I've got the carrot growing in the back. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you're for this. I'm 100% for it. Okay. Lee, may I call you Lee? Yeah. Great. <laughs> Have you ever had a bad haircut? Uh, well, uh, 
My hair is a big bowl of spaghetti, uh-huh. so I let it do whatever the heck it wants to do. Okay. I right. really don't cut it. I'd let it just keep growing. But you ever had a stylist do something and you're like, oh my gosh, what did you do? I go to hair cuttery once every couple of years and I say, <laughs> no, I'm not joking. <laughs> or I'll cut my own and I just say, I just want four inches cut off. Okay. What about a bad mani-pedi or maybe you had a meal that wasn't up to par? Okay. Yeah, yeah? maybe. Great. <laughs> So what you can do is check Yelp. Right now, Yelp is great because it'll tell you the overall rating of a place. But sometimes someone who is doing something for you, whether that's a CPA, an accountant, or you know someone cutting your hair, not yours, but somebody else's hair, they're just having a bad day. They get some news that they didn't want to hear, or they talk to a relative. That's generally what sets me off on a bad day. Uh, and then they have to do that thing that they have to do when they're already in a bad mood. Um, I focus on hair because I feel like, well, first of all, I have a lot all all over. I'm half Sasquatch, as you may have heard. Um, it's also one of the most important and distinguishing factors, right? It's our best foot forward. That's the first thing people see. And it's our best foot forward on our heads, I oh. guess, if <laughs> that makes sense. I never looked at it like that. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think anybody has. So when we have a disgruntled hairstylist or barber, Right. That's going to be a big impact. That's going to hurt our, if we have a bad haircut, that's going to kill our self-confidence. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be able to go out. We're going to miss out on opportunities, whether that's a great new job or just going out to the discotheque mm-hmm. that night, because obviously we're spending a lot of times at the discotheques. How do you measure how upset somebody is, whether it's a cook, it's a hairstylist or somebody else mm-hmm. before they do something for you? Um, well, you can kind of tell, especially with hairstylists. I mean, I've had very bad experiences with hairstylists, especially with my kind of hair. Yeah. Like they usually will look at each other when I walk in and be like, no, it's your turn. No, it's your turn. No, it's your turn. It's like, oh, just oh. because of the amount of work? Yeah. They're like, I don't know what to do with that. You know, so, they don't know. So, right. So skill level. Yeah. That's one thing. We can't necessarily measure that, but how, what kind of mindset they're in. Mm -hmm. I'd like to measure that. We have a new app that we're going to develop. So this is idea number one. Mad skills Mm. is what it's called. Uh, You download the app, you order a reader, and the reader is like somewhere between headphones and a stethoscope. So what you do is when you're going into someone and you say, hey, I just want to make sure you're in the right mindset to make my panini, Mm -hmm. because obviously sandwiches, Uh, you put it on them, maybe around the neck, or maybe it's on their like electrodes on their heads. And then you ask them a series of 45 to 60 questions and you get a score. And if it's in within an acceptable range, they're good to go. Mm -hmm. Then it just matters if they know what they're doing. They're not in a bad mood or maybe they are in a bad mood. And you're like, Hey, I'll just come back another day after the 60 questions, after the 60 questions, you're going to leave. Yeah. And then you're only going to come back later when you do the 60 questions again. Every time you have to do the 60 questions. (laughs) So I like this because you're already pointing out some potential issues (laughs) with the product. Mm -hmm. So this is where you come in. This is why smart people come on this show and help me out with my terrible ideas. Yeah. So that's mad skills. Okay. Um, I think that... It'll be a great start into that market, okay. but then you're going to have competition immediately, especially when it comes to pharmaceuticals. Someone's going to create some type of sedative, 
pill that will keep you level all the time, that it'll just become part of every industry, that people will be popping this pill to always be in a euphoric mood slash non-aggressive slash productive. I like that. And then you're going to get to a point where your product is useless because everyone is everyone's happy all is the time. well-mannered and ready to go. So you're, what you're saying is we should go into the drug business. Yes. I think everyone should just go into the drug business because ultimately that's where all the money's going. Well, okay. So let's go to the second idea. It doesn't sound like you're so big on that one. Okay. All right. So second idea. Are you ready? Yes. That was mad skills. We're on to the next one. GMOs, Mm -hmm. genetically modified organisms. I don't like that it's called organisms, by the way, but that's, that's another thing altogether. Have they gone too far or not far enough? Mm. Um, no, I think that um, GMO is just a tool to, that we've been using for hundreds of years anyway. I just think that it can be abused, just like I could sure. use a shovel to shovel or I could use a shovel to chase someone down the street. Let's talk about <laughs> using it. Okay. What are vegetables and fruits missing? Uh-huh. Being more educational. I'm going to tie this in. So, you know, (laughs) GMOs, you can, obviously there's ways to do it that you're genetically modifying them Mm -hmm. or you're just doing it based on the strains and you're cross uh, pollinating and all of those things. I don't know any of the terms, Mm -hmm. but forget pest resistant. That's one of the things that somebody might do with a a GMO is try to make the fruit or vegetable more, the crop more pest resistant or larger. Let's genetically engineer them into shapes and sizes, letters, and mathematical formulas, turnips that teach, mm. apples somehow with algebra in them, mm. scallions full of science, science. <laughs> and the best part, kids are also getting nutrition, mm-hmm. smarts and nutrition. Mm-hmm. Could any child you know resist corn on the cob if it was shaped like the theory of relativity? I, I'm getting hungry right now. Right? Or oranges that are subject to gravity, which now that I read that, I realize that all oranges are subject to gravity, so it's already teaching people. Exactly. So we already have a precedent here. What do we call this? Not GMOs, EMOs, educationally modified organisms. Mm. I have a tagline for it. I think you're going to like it. We're on a nutrition mission. <laughs> this is really Wait, I'm not done. Okay. Because of our ambition to keep you from the mortician. Hang on, I'm not done. And our ammunition is the addition of many new vegetable compositions. Mm, I need this. I'm not done. Again, because we (laughs) don't want you to become an apparition and suffer from decomposition, especially before you pay back your tuition loans. Oh, wow. I feel like my brain... Oh, That was the end of the My brain has just exploded. And now just... Wow. Right. I need you on our team. We need you <laughs> to come to our office and create uh-huh. like a veggie wrap. Like I oh, want to take it to that level. I, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. There's so many more things that I didn't put in there as far as alliteration goes. Yeah, I see your book. There's a lot. I, really I mean, half of it is like all vegetable puns. A, yeah, limited edition. I was going to work in um, obviously apparitions because I'm big on ghosts. Mm-hmm. So having said all that, EMOs or mad skills, Mm. which one would you like to run with? Which one do you feel like is the stronger idea? Um, Obviously, we would need some expert uh, uh, geneticists. Mm -hmm. 
I'm not sure if there are those out there. I think there are. Yeah. Mad skills out because okay, it's, we're just going to go drugs because immediately that's going to um, be overthought of like someone else is going to come in with a better product Got it. very quickly. However, I realized that making something cuter, even if that's in, in by the means of altering its genetic makeup, yeah. that is the way to go. Okay. Like look at um, SpaghettiOs, you know, you could, I will look at spaghetti. You could just eat pasta, you know, but then you could actually make noodles into little circles or little numbers or letters true, yeah. and they will completely appeal capitalize on the market. Children. Yeah. They appeal to children. So I agree. Applying the spaghettio philosophy to fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's I a mean, good way to sum it up. That's way better than my tagline. Cereal could be in flakes, but that's boring. Why not letters and like moons and stars and horseshoes? Why not? Which is teaching children about uh, astrology or <laughs> astronomy, I should say, uh-huh. uh, and animals yeah. and animal husbandry, which I think is important to learn. Animal crackers to- knew what they were doing. That's a good point. All right. So fruits and vegetables shape like different things, translating calculus to children <laughs> and other things, obviously not just calculus. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm in. Uh, Lee Perry, uh, thank you so much for that. We are going to have a pop quiz coming up. It's a very important anniversary. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Okay. And so tune in. Stay with us. Tune in. You've already tuned in. Let's listen to some more music. This is inspired by We Lost Aretha Franklin last week. So uh, a lot of R&B vocalists, female vocalists I chose today. So we're going to hear from Bessie Banks and Irma Thomas on this next break. And, uh, yeah, so you're listening to a certain degree. I, I'm so nervous because I'm back on the air. No, it's, it's exciting. It feels yeah. really good in here. There's good energy. This was meant to be. This is a good vibe. You're the <laughs> first person I've had back on the air, so thank you for being so understanding. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we'll be right back. You're listening to a certain degree on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. This episode is brought to you by The Glitter End. Arguing, does it make you sad because you're always right? Add a new level to gloating with one or more tubes of glitter, but not just plain glitter. Metallic confetti that actually has the exact answers to the argument you're having. Whether it's grammar, the year a movie came out, or the 17th president, the answer is glitter. Not the movie, that would be terrible, but actual glitter. Order now at toacertaindegree.com. Good morning, my name is Nick. You're listening to A Certain Degree on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. That was Irma Thomas you just heard with Time is on My Side. Before that, Bessie Banks with Go Now. Um, We're going to have to go now pretty soon, but not yet. Lee Perry is here still. Lee, good morning. Good morning. Fleetfarming.org, at Fleet Farming on the Instagram and the Twitter and the Facebook. The Twitter, the Facebook. Yeah, is that not And the Snapchat. Oh, you're on Snapchat too? Yes, yes we are. I feel like people that might live far away or might not be as mobile, they should experience fleet farming the same way we do. Through Snapchat. Through Snapchat. (laughs) No, no, no. Like be right there harvesting (laughs) with us on the grind. I love that idea. I love that idea. Eventually some virtual reality farming. I think so. We're also we also have a Pinterest. Look at that. You're yeah. everywhere I want to be. Yeah. And a LinkedIn. Okay. <laughs> just slow down. 
That's pretty cool. Uh, so people can learn more about fleet farming at any of those places. I think that's a good idea to look into for a couple of different reasons. If for nothing else, then it inspires you to do something for yourself in terms of nutrition, in terms of a garden uh, with the space that you have available to you. Even a windowsill. Yeah. 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 I have windowsills. Then you should have food growing there. I should. Yeah, but I also have cats, so that's my excuse right now. Yeah. August 20th, let's just get right into this pop quiz. Okay. Lee, August 20th, 136 years ago, a tent. What a time. Uh, what a time to live in. <laughs> and this is in Moscow. So this is in Russia. Something magical happened. There was music under the tent, the type of music, and I guarantee that you hear it and it moves you. The crescendos may be best known from its use during the 4th of July celebrations, but it's a celebration of Russian independence. So this is a pop quiz about a very famous piece of classic music, classical music, some might even say, which is probably the correct way to say that. I wanted to have somebody who knows music. He's a purveyor of all things musical. So Benoit Glazer is actually going to uh, help us. He's going to perform the pop quiz today. Okay. And since he's a fellow Canadian, he had to help me. Okay. So that's the Canadian code is if you need help with something and you ask a Canadian, they absolutely have to help you. <laughs> or they can do their best, eh? What, why would you do that? Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, that was not. I didn't realize that. That, that was would... not. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. So are you ready for this pop quiz? Sure. Eh? Okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> We're going to have to have a talk after this, Lee. All right, Benoit, take it away. Hello, everyone. Happy to be here. So here we go. The 1812 Overture by Tchaikovsky is a very well-known piece. What's less well-known is the original name of the piece. The year 1812 Solemn Overture. It's also known as the Festival Overture in E-flat major or just Opus 49. What you may also not know is why Tchaikovsky wrote it. And that's your first question. What does the 1812 overture commemorate? A. The War of 1812 in America. B. Russia denying Napoleon's invasion in 1812. C. The first Oktoberfest in Germany, which happened in 1810. So what do you think the uh, overture, the 1812 overture, is commemorating? I think B. B. The uh, Russian... Uh, or the almost invasion of Russia by Napoleon's army? Yes. And them turning them back? Yes. I like that. Let's see. Let's ask uh, Benoit if you're correct. Benoit. It was turning back the overwhelming French invasion force in 1812. The Russians were very proud of how they turned Napoleon's Grande Armée into Petite Coutellerie. I also got to have him talk in French. Oh, that's When I so wrote great. the script. So that was right. You were right. Yeah, I I sound like I'm really smart. <laughs> so so far so good. Are you ready for the next question? Yes. All right, here we go, Benoit. It was the Boston Pops Orchestra who helped establish the 1812 overture as an American Independence Day staple. On July 4th, 1974, the Pops not only played the overture with the cannons and church bells as Tchaikovsky intended, but added fireworks to the mix. If you were to add your own piece of flair to the end of the piece, something really noisy for emphasis and grandeur, what would it be? Mm. So what would you add? I've seen it uh, in doing some research on this. I saw one 
orchestra doing the explosion. So it's, you know, the explosions at the end of it. Boom. With paper bags. So they were exploding mm-hmm. paper bags. Uh, so I would do probably smashing something, smashing plates, I think for my Greek heritage, mm-hmm. that would go really well. And that would sound uh, very explosive and put an emphasis on it. And so, yeah, what would you use? Um, I believe this is the same song from V for Vendetta. Yes, that is correct. I love when he's like explode. Like Everything is literally, literally like exploding. Yeah, exploding. So in the original version, uh, Tchaikovsky wrote it. And so he wrote in the church bells and the cannons exploding as part of the concert mm-hmm. because of what it what it signified was this battle with the Russians and Napoleon and all that. Mm-hmm. So what else would you add to that at the end that would say, okay, this is Lee Perry's version of the 1812 overture? I would say I love the sound of scraping shovels. Um, I don't think, you know, I've, I've actually shoveled six hours in a row once, a um, couple times. And there's this really great rhythmic uh, symphony in itself when you're shoveling compost for six hours with a large group of people. And I think that if this were playing, we would want to go for another six hours. I love that idea of just that sort of inspirational classical music building up to that crescendo and you guys playing along. It's like a subliminal pressure that you're putting on the volunteers to keep working. That sounds way better than my (laughs) idea. Yeah. I also like that you're using people's uh, innate nature against them. Uh, So let's see what Benoit would do because obviously he's a musician. Personally, I would add a row of 15 expert fly fishermen all casting their lines at the same time. Mm. Wow. Nice. I like that. I like that noise that it would create. So you're two for two. You've gotten them both right. Now, just so you know, if you get, uh, there's four questions total. If you get three out of four, we're friends. If you get four out of four, we're best friends. Okay. No pressure. Okay. Okay. Here's the next question, Benoit. The overture premiered in 1882, conducted by Hippolyte Altani under a tent because the Cathedral of Christ the Savior, which also commemorated the victory in 1812, was still under construction. Tchaikovsky did conduct the piece himself in 1891 for a special occasion. It was the dedication of what famous concert venue? A. Carnegie Hall B. The Timucua Arts Foundation White House C, the new 1,700-seat Steinmetz Hall at the Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts, which will open in 2020. Okay, so this is a tough one. In 1891, was it Carnegie Hall? Was it the Timco Foundation's White House? Or the new part of uh, DPAC? I would say B. Oh, A. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it might, be, it might be A. So let's see. <laughs> If Benoit can answer that. The answer is always practice, practice, practice. I mean Carnegie Hall, of course. As much as we would have loved him to conduct in Orlando at the White House or the DPAC, this would be very unlikely. I was trying to get it wrong because I didn't want to be your friend. You don't want to be my friend? (laughs) Well, I don't want to be your best friend, that's for sure. Wow. Okay. Well, that's because, you know, you have a truck and there's a lot of cat toys in there and I'm allergic to cats. So, well, there's no cats in the truck. Oh, 
I just keep the cat toys back there. I actually meant to, yeah, take them out before it started raining. So no, it's too late I now just wanted to cover up that toys. I really didn't know. I- so the idea is that, uh, you know, 1891, Tchaikovsky actually came out to Carnegie Hall and uh, when it was first being opened and did the 1812 overture. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I wish I were there. You have two more chances. Uh, the White House, of course, the Timoko Foundation. Are you familiar with the White House? No. Timoko Arts Foundation, I'll talk a little bit more about it, but they're an amazing group, Benoit and his family started it. And the idea is that he wanted a performance space in his house. So he turned half of his house into a performance space. You can go there every Sunday, listen to incredible music, local, international uh, musicians come in. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty remarkable. See, that sounds like that would have been the answer. It would be, but he just started a few years ago, and oh, Tchaikovsky's okay. been dead for, for quite a while. All right, last question. Are you ready? Yeah. You can get this one wrong if you want, if you don't want to be my best friend. Aww. It's totally fine. I thought we were best friends. Tchaikovsky is also very famous for his less explosive works, including the scores for Ballet, The Nutcrackers, Swan Lake, and The Sleeping Beauty. I can't ask you to pick your favorite of the three, because how can you? They're all amazing in their own way. Instead, please do your best ballet moves in the studio and Nick will judge based on technique, originality, and how many things you knock over. Mm. Okay, so go ahead. Okay. Um, You've got the shoulder pads. So I think that there's one like this. Yep. Right? And then there's one where you twirl and then you're on like one toe. Yeah. I can't do that. Okay, so... But I can do it in my head. So you just... All you did was move your arms around. There's no... There's this with the fingers. You see that? Yeah. Okay. This. Sorry, I didn't notice the fingers before. Right? Yeah. That's all about being elegant and poised. Uh, okay. And uh, ballerinas do it every single time that they do a little purette. Puree? Puree. If they, whenever they puree something. <laughs> Pirouette? I don't know. Ballerinas don't know. do that. I don't. I don't yeah. know. Sorry. I like how you still are all bringing it back to fleet farming. No. <laughs> so some sort of vegetable puree that they do. I'm a little rough around the edges, so I'm not mm-hmm. very ladylike. Even though I'm in a dress today, mm-hmm. I was a tomboy my whole life. My a lot knees, of shoulder pads. Let me add again, big shoulder pads today. Yes, and my knees are very uh, scarred up from all the falling, um, not because of ballet, but because I used to wrestle and I used to like rollerblade and be dirty most of the time. I was a, a very dirty child. Is this a fight club situation? Is there a fleet farming fight club? I'm not at liberty to discuss okay, that at this time. Very good. Well, let's see what uh, what Benoit did for his ballet moves. Very well done. In the spirit of camaraderie, I also danced. I'm not one to brag, but I performed a perfect arabesque penché, which led into a grand pas de chat, and then several dozen soubresauts because I can. Then somebody mistakenly called 911, but that's a different story. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah, I was going to do that, and then there's very limited space in this room. There is, there, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I didn't think you could pull it off, and you didn't. So that's how I guess it works sometimes. <laughs> uh, so let's say goodbye to Benoit. Benoit, thank you so much. Thank you, Benoit. If this was the 1812 Overture, this is where the explosions would go. Thank you so much. This was a blast. Benoit Glazer, everybody. Uh, I hope we all learned something today. I did. I, I did. I did as well. Uh, so along with being born in Montreal, Benoit and his family, as I mentioned, founded the Timoko Arts Foundation, hosted hundreds of shows and events in their home. Uh, the amazing live venue, it's over by Boone High School. You can go to timoko.com 
to see the schedule. That's T-I-M-U-C-U-A.com. And what's amazing about it is most shows are donation-based, and they just ask that you bring some food or wine to share. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a little potluck there oh, as nice. well. Yeah. So something else you can do through the White House and the Timical Arts Foundation, they just started this, is record there. So if you want to record some live music, something for your acting reel, a podcast, if you wanted to, that's where Benoit recorded this, connect with him on Facebook to learn more. Mm. So there you go. Okay. Very nice. So I'm going to give you three and a half out of four. So we're just solid good friends. Like I'll invite you over for wine, but we're not doing a sleepover. Well, Okay. Great. Is that what best friends do? Oh, yeah. Like we paint each other's toenails. We okay. comb each other's hair. That's what best friends do. All right. Regardless of age, I'm going to be doing that until I'm 85 with my best friends. Great. Okay. But we're well, just. I'm actually really relieved now. Yeah. We'll go to concerts together. You and I will. Yeah. But. Yeah. We'll Fleet Farm. We'll go on some. That's only for best swim friends. Rides. Oh, okay. Well, I guess we won't be doing that either. <laughs> Let's listen to some music. We've got Penny in the Quarters and Gloria Lynn on this sort of uh, Aretha Franklin rhythm and blues female vocalist inspired day. Uh, and that's coming up on WPRK in Winter Park, Florida. You when do I sing? Do I come in? To a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as this song starts and I turn off your mic, you're singing. Okay, great. Great. Okay, thank you. Hi there, Nick here. Many different organizations choose to support this show to a certain degree, and many do it pro bono. And by that, I mean they don't pay us at all. Let me tell you about one of these advertisers, Brand Knuckles. Brand Knuckles is your premier source for 3D printed knuckles. These are very prominent knuckle rings that feature your logo. Nothing, and I mean nothing, answers the question, what do you do? Quite the way a set of Brand Knuckles does. Empowering, ostentatious, slightly menacing, they're everything you want your company to be. Check them out on Instagram at Brand Knuckles. Back to the show. Gloria Lynn on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. That was speaking of happiness. And Penny and the Quarters started us off with you and me. Speaking of happiness, my name is Nick. You're listening to a certain degree. Back on the air as it was meant to be on WPRK, 91.5 FM. And as it was meant to be, Lee Perry is here because that was scheduled for today. So that's as it's meant to be. Lee, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I feel like this is fate. It is. It's in, in faded. Is that how you say it? Yeah, I think so. Okay, great. Uh, program director of Fleet Farming. So to learn more about Fleet Farming, fleetfarming.org. Yes. F-L-E-E-T, in case you don't know how to spell fleet or you mm-hmm. think there's some other alternate spelling of it. Uh, at Fleet Farming. Mainly on the Instagram, the Twitter, the Snapchat, the Facebook, mm-hmm. the Pinterest. Mm-hmm. Okay, the is that it? Oh gosh, I missed one. The LinkedIn. <laughs> um, but just real quick, if you could sum up uh, essentially the services that you deliver that people might be interested in uh, in interacting with you. Well, we like to drone vegetables to people's houses and deliver um, within 24 hours of it coming out of the ground. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that's for Amazon. My name's Lee Perry, and Fleet Farming is a nonprofit urban agriculture program that came out of Ideas for Us during their Hive meetings once a month. And we basically uh, host free community events where we educate residents here in Orlando how to grow food. And then as an additional service to help su- support the free education, 
we offer edible landscaping where we can come out and build you a garden, whether it's a raised bed in ground or a food forest, even fruit tree installations. So the reason why we do that is because we want to educate people on how to grow food and get them started so that they can feel confident moving forward with their purchase and create a fully sustainable garden that they can then have a high yield of fresh vegetables in their backyard or front yard or wherever. And that's on a regular basis, so not just a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. The fruits and vegetables and the the way the garden is designed, you're going to look at the entire area, the entire lawn, and figure out what the best space is and what the best vegetables are, fruits and vegetables are for that space. Yes, we are the garden guidance counselors for you right here in Orlando. I love that, the garden guidance counselors, just because I love alliteration. Mm -hmm. Uh, So as far as support goes, um, obviously one of the ways that people can do that is just by going on a swarm ride Mm -hmm. uh, and learn more about it. Uh, They can support fleet farming by going and buying fruits and vegetables from uh, one of the vendors or one of the events that you do, like the Audubon Park mm-hmm. Monday night event, the market, yes. Uh, what's another way? Can people just donate mm-hmm. directly? People can go to our website and donate. Um, we have a lot of projects that we're trying to raise money for. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, there's a low-income hotel uh, called Remington Inn that would like a garden program for the kids. And uh, it has the highest population of uh, homeless children there in the nation. So we're raising money uh, to put a garden there. And you can go to our website and donate. And in the notes section, just put that you want it to go to Remington Inn or that you want it to go to a school, a low-income school garden, mm-hmm. whatever your donation is for, or just to us for our operating. We appreciate anything, any time, any funding, um, just overall your attention so that you can learn the value of growing your own food and changing your behavior so that the whole world can be a better place. And I think that, you know, obviously donation-based as a nonprofit, that's important, but also doing the follow thing, doing the like, uh, and commenting on the social media uh, channels that you have is important as well because that's how you get more people knowing about what it is that you're doing and the services that you offer. Yeah, yeah. So we're trying to make our post more inspirational and educational. So mm-hmm. you'll start seeing more facts that we're starting to um, just have free information posted on a regular basis. But um, our events page is where you'll see every second and fourth Sunday we have free swarm rides where we meet at East End Market and we ride out. And then in West Orlando, we're starting to do even more uh, free events every first Saturday of the month, for example. We meet there at Cayley Square Community Center, and we will uh, farm these huge lots uh, right in the middle of a low-income community. And people drive by and say, what do you do? Do people come and steal your vegetables? And it's like, no, food should be free and it should be everywhere. So come learn how. Very good. Once again, fleetfarming.org. Uh, I will now release Lee Perry back into the world. Thank you so much for Mm -hmm. being here. I've been Nick. I will continue to be Nick. And I'll be back uh, next week with a very special guest. Uh, Michelle Kristoff will be here. And so we'll be learning about uh, sewing and yarn-related things. So another very sustainable thing. I didn't mean for that to happen. I'm not terribly sustainable myself. Mm-hmm. Well, I you're mean, gonna be. I sustain myself. Yeah. And I, yeah, I guess I will be after all this. I'm going to take away something uh, from all this and become a little more uh, sustainable and mm-hmm. knit my own clothes. Yeah. Can I come? Because I don't know to how to show? sew. Okay, yeah. 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 That'll Let's be exciting. Open to the public. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it will not be open to the public. 
And uh, yeah, so that's next week for me. Uh, Lee, thank you so much. And we're going to listen to some Aretha Franklin. Uh, mm-hmm. One more song. Uh, I think this is the appropriate one since you've been gone. Thank you. On thank WPRK you. WPRK in Winter Park, Florida. You've been listening to A Certain Degree. And that's the show. Thanks for listening to A Certain Degree. This is the original version of the show. If you visit toacertaindegree.com, that's T-O-A, certaindegree.com, you'll find a variety of other shows. There's To an Abridged Degree, which is a shorter version of each interview. Because your time is valuable, I get it. I, I understand that. I mean, mine isn't, but I understand that yours is. How about Just the Pop Quizzes? There's a podcast of just those. And the variety of guests, there's so many different ones to choose from. If you need a recommendation on which guest or episode to start with, let me know. If you need a suggestion on other great Orlando podcasts, I'm your guy. Pretty much any suggestions, just uh, just let me know. I'll, I'll be there for you. Not, not the song. Thanks for listening.